This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once, it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. For Douglas Ross to stand there and talk about losing grip of a party when he's been leader, the Conservatives have had the longest attempted coup in Scottish political history. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to the Steamy, the Scotsman's politics podcast. I'm Alistair Grant, the Scotsman's political editor. And the big news of the last few weeks has been the UK COVID inquiry, which has been sitting in Edinburgh, taking evidence from some of the key figures in the Scottish government, both civil servants and politicians who made the decisions during the pandemic. On Wednesday, I heard from Nicola Sturgeon, who gave sometimes emotional evidence for a a full day of the inquiry. The Scotsman's team was there covering it both in the inquiry room, watching live streams and outside the inquiry where the Scottish COVID bereaved were giving statements to the media. We sat down to to talk about Nicola Sturgeon's evidence, to talk about the various issues that were raised, our thoughts on it. The day after on Thursday, it was me, Martin McLaughlin, the Scotsman's investigations correspondent, Joseph Anderson, the Scotsman's health correspondent, Jane Bradley, who was outside the inquiry hearing from the the Scottish COVID bereaved, and it was hosted by Alexander Brown, the Scotsman's Westminster correspondent. Hello, my name is Alexander Brown, and I'm joined by a plethora of my colleagues to discuss Nicola Sturgeon with the former First Minister, finally giving evidence to the UK COVID inquiry that was both teary and full of news lines. As the grant, you were there. What happened? I was watching the live stream with uh, with great interest. I think it was quite an extraordinary day of evidence, really. I mean, I think some of the key points were around the the confirmation that Nicola Sturgeon did indeed delete her WhatsApp messages, despite telling journalists previously that she would hand over all relevant information, including WhatsApps. That was comments she made, I think, in 2021 to a journalist from Channel 4 News during one of her COVID briefings. And even at that point, she knew that wouldn't be possible because she was deleting her WhatsApp messages. I mean, she says that the Scottish government policy at the time, the Scottish government's policy anyway, was to retain the relevant information from those WhatsApp messages to retain the key points and put those into the corporate record, but to delete the messages themselves, partly for security reasons. Obviously, if you lose your phone, it could potentially be sensitive information on there. But I think the point still stands that she deleted messages despite uh, implying otherwise. I think one of the other main points was a lack of minutes from some of the key meetings that happened during the the pandemic, some of those kind of key decision-making meetings. I think the inquiry also heard evidence suggesting that there was quite a, a small, tight-knit group of people who were effectively taking decisions during the pandemic out with the Scottish Cabinet. For example, the decision to shut down schools, uh, to close schools in March 2020, was taken by Nicola Sturgeon and John Swinney, 
It wasn't a decision that was taken by the full cabinet. I think in John Swinney's evidence to the inquiry on a previous day, he talked about the absolutely ferocious pace at which events were moving. And they simply didn't have time to kind of follow the normal decision-making processes. It seems like there was an element of, if not panic, then certainly extreme anxiety at the top levels in government about the about the kind of state of the virus, what might happen to people. And I think one of the other key strands yesterday was these accusations that there was a a political element to the pandemic, that there was a politicisation of it. Um, That was something that Michael Gove had certainly suggested to the inquiry when he gave evidence in Edinburgh, effectively saying that some of the the Scottish government's decision-making was influenced by their political motives, essentially the SNP's political project to break up the union. I don't think there was any kind of hard and fast evidence around that, that that proved that. But I think there were certainly suggestions that, for example, minutes from 2020 from a cabinet meeting in which independence was was mentioned, potentially restarting the campaign for independence. Nicola Sturgeon very much saying that that never happened. It was only a consideration that was in the cabinet minutes, but never actually took place. I think the other side of this is that you mentioned yourself that there were moments where Nicola Sturgeon was genuinely emotional. Those moments certainly to me came across as quite powerful quite genuine. You saw the toll the pandemic had taken on her, the impression that she essentially took the decisions that she thought were right and that were in the kind of interests of saving lives. Well, I don't think anyone's actions would stand up to complete scrutiny a couple of years down the line. And an inquiry like this would always be able to pick holes in decision making. So I think there's an, an element of there will be some genuine sympathy for her in, in the sense that this obviously took a massive toll on her. And these were impossible decisions with no right answers in some ways. Joseph, I think one of the key things that came out on on social media and afterwards is obviously this difference between messages being not retained or deleted. I was wondering what your uh, perspective on that was and also what the atmosphere was like in the room, as it were. Yeah, well, I spent, I think I tried to work out, I spent probably over 24 hours listening of my life, listening to these hearings. Uh, Now, this was the first time I've been in the room that there's been a real outpouring of emotion, not just from the people in the auditorium. There was um, a lot of tears from people, particularly when um, the deaths in care homes were being talked about, but also for the first time that we've seen uh, tears from one of the people giving testimony, obviously Nicola Sturgeon, when it was, whenever it was touched on that her legacy was more about the politicisation of the pandemic rather than doing the best thing for the Scottish people, she was moved to tears. On the WhatsApps, I always give the test that if I was to walk out of the office now and go into Princess Street and ask somebody, did you know that they deleted their WhatsApps? They'll probably shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, we already knew that. that there's not much that we heard from Sturgeon's evidence that that, that is, is a, a huge smoking gun that the, the average person on the street, you know, we're all very much in the cut and thrust of it. We we love all the minutiae of, oh, no, she returned them. This is Scottish government policy. You know, the, the, the minutes are, are being re- recorded separately from the WhatsApp. The average person on the street doesn't know that. And, and I think all that Sturgeon's appearance done is confirm to people what they already believed about Sturgeon. I think her fans will say that she was she was doing the best that she could, that they did they did marginally better than the than down in Westminster, and they will still very much see Sturgeon as somebody who, who, who did a, a great job during the pandemic. And conversely, the the critics of Sturgeon will say it was full of secrecy. She was the one making all of the decisions. She was bypassing cabinet. Although it was an incredibly emotional day, and for people like ourselves and people hugely interested in politics, that there are a lot of news lines, I think for the average person that you might stop in the street and and try and explain this to, I I don't think we learned a huge amount yesterday. 
Well, I mean, that leads us on to, I suppose, Jane, who I believe uh, spoke to or knows about what was said by the COVID bereaved. What was their response to her evidence? Yeah. So, I mean, the people I spoke to yesterday are people who have lost a loved one to COVID. You know, they all had, you know, really, really awful stories about what they went through during the pandemic when they heard Nicholas Durgeon speak. I mean, I think I think the reaction really was just one of disbelief that they're not being told the truth. They'd hoped this inquiry would finally give them the answers they were looking for. And they didn't feel that. One man I spoke to, he lost his wife during the pandemic. She'd been shielding. And then literally a few weeks after the uh, the shielding rules were lifted, she contracted COVID and unfortunately she died. And he was saying he and his wife before that point used to watch Sturgeon on the briefings every day. You know, they'd be, and he said, we thought she was doing a great job. We thought she was way better than, you know, what was going on down south. We, we thought she was brilliant. Both of us sat there sort of going, we're so happy we're living in Scotland. We're so happy we've got Nicola Sturgeon leading us through this pandemic. And he said now really the, you know, the sort of the wool's being pulled from his eyes and he's, you know, he does not feel the same anymore. He feels like he's being lied to. And he said if he could go and speak to Nicola Sturgeon right now, he'd just say, are you telling me the truth that you think I want to hear or the truth that you want me to hear? Or are you telling me the actual truth? And, and that's that's what they want to know. What was your perspective? Did you think that she's you know, saying plausible things? It's very difficult to tell. I mean, I, you know, will we ever know exactly whether we're being told everything? Will we ever be able to, to to see all the details? You know, I mean, as we know, huge swathes of WhatsApp messages have been deleted. I think everyone's just going to have to have their own opinion on that. Um, Martin, I think you wrote some analysis on this. I mean, I I, sp- I speak to MPs all the time, and, and obviously with the messages uh, that had come out, they were telling me that you know there's there's nothing to see here. This is all just Westminster and media like hype and getting overly excited. And you know, the former first minister did a very hard job and a very good job in very very difficult circumstances. I mean, I'd, I'd be interested in your perception of the evidence. I think that sums it up, Alex. There's a lot of seemingly contradictory truths in this which can exist at the same time. Watching the full day of evidence yesterday, I was really struck by a a duality to what Nicola Sturgeon was saying. On the one hand, she was transparent, but emotionally transparent. You know, much has been written about the moment she was reduced to tears and struggled to maintain her composure, especially when her integrity was questioned. And while I can fully empathise with the families who've questioned that. I think it would be unreasonably cynical to regard those moments as performative in any way. I think it's hard to conceive of the extraordinary toll the pandemic took on Nicola Sturgeon during her time in charge. And based on her conduct during the pandemic and her evidence yesterday, I think she deserves the benefit of the doubt that, as she said, she did her very best. But on the other hand, there was anything but transparency when it came to some of the the big substantive issues that the inquiry is actually trying to address. It was quite telling that at those moments when she became emotional yesterday, Nicola Sturgeon said that she she was fully open to anyone scrutinising the decisions that she made. Just don't question my my motives. But the fundamental problem is we can't scrutinise those decisions thanks to her government's vague and incoherent policy around information retention. It's simply impossible to do that. You know, our generation and future generations are going to have a very curtailed understanding of how her government confronted that once-in-a-century crisis. And and that is a, a failing which she's ultimately responsible for. I mean, on the issue of the WhatsApp messages, she really failed to mount any kind of robust defense of that. And she had very little mitigation when she was asked about her promise in August 21 
to hand over the WhatsApp messages, a time when she knew they had already been deleted. Equally, there was very little she said that, that kind of refuted the, the suggestion that it was a narrow clique in charge of the kind of major decisions at that time. She was very evasive around questions on the, the Gold Command Group, describing it as a forum where there were discursive opportunities, which is just a real political euphemism, if ever there was one. I mean, we know more about the Bilderberg group than we know about the Gold Command group. So, I mean, the, the upshot of it is, yeah, Nicola Sturgeon was emotionally literate and transparent, but the, the big questions that the COVID-bereaved families want to know and everyone else wants to know remain unanswered. So, Alistair, the big question is, does this matter? We have not had perhaps the answers we would have hoped for, but we've also seen other people give evidence. You know, you've had Boris Johnson go up. We've had numerous UK figures, I believe. Alistair Jack is giving evidence today. Is this damaging for the SNP or is it, you know, everyone maintains the view they already held? I think it's definitely been bruising for them. I think it's been bruising for Nicola Sturgeon. I think her evidence session has left a mark. I think those questions over transparency will remain. And I completely appreciate what Joseph is saying about the, the kind of WhatsApp messages and people kind of already knowing they were deleted. It was something that was previously reported. But I think just to hear that confirmed and to hear that, as Martin was saying, the kind of the sheer lack of any real defence as to why they did that, particularly when they knew there was an acceptance from May 2020 onwards that there probably would be a public inquiry into COVID. So they knew this was coming from very near the start of the pandemic. And as Amar Anwar, the kind of lead solicitor for the Scottish COVID bereaved has said, you know, it's, it, it was blatantly obvious that the inquiry would have an interest in these kind of messages. I think there is a grey area here in the sense that, you know, everyone knows that a government like any other kind of, you know, frantic, fast-paced office environment, you need an informal space where you can have conversations honestly without them being, you know, in that kind of formal recorded basis. It's just not possible to operate without having a way to kind of informally chat about stuff. And those conversations that would normally have happened in the office that wouldn't have been minuted just over a, a cup of coffee or as you pass someone's desk, those kind of honest conversations weren't happening face-to-face -face during COVID. You know, they were having to happen over these informal messaging services. And we can see from some of the ways that people were communicating with each other, you know, Jason Leach is a classic example of this. He was saying things in a very informal way that he obviously never considered would be brought up to light and scrutinised in the way they have been. But at the same time, these were views and discussions that were written down in a recorded format. Frankly, you know, it's, the inquiry is obviously going to be interested in that. And we can see from some of the conversations, for example, that Liz Lloyd, Nicola Sturgeon's former chief of staff, was having with Nicola Sturgeon over WhatsApp, in which they were discussing COVID policy. They were discussing things like indoor mixing rules, hospitality restrictions, a number of people who could go to weddings. These were real COVID issues and they were being discussed and certainly from those conversations it seems like they were influencing decision making. So if we truly want to understand what went on during the pandemic and how decisions were taken, those messages are crucial and everyone knows how widely used WhatsApp is, particularly in politics but obviously in many other aspects of society as well. Politicians use it all the time. I think it is quite crucial to this and Nicola Sturgeon's position is obviously that she, she herself uses WhatsApp very rarely and only with a handful of people. And that may well be true. It certainly seems like she is, you know, the kind of politician who would like things to be done on a formal basis and like things to be done in this kind of formal channels because she's someone who likes to have oversight of things. But the fact remains we don't know it's true for a fact because those messages were deleted. And if they, if they, if they were so sparse and if they didn't really contain much information of note to the inquiry, you've got to wonder why they were 
they were being deleted in this fashion. Or certainly it leaves it leaves Nicola Sturgeon open to those kind of questions. So I think damage has been done. I think the final point I'd make is that those critics of the inquiry who worry about it becoming too political and too of a kind of too much of a political rami may look at yesterday's evidence, look at Wednesday's evidence of Nicola Sturgeon and perhaps have their fears confirmed in some ways. I don't think we learned that much new. I think parts of it were quite political, um, but that's understandable in the sense of what the the issues the inquiry wants to look at in terms of governance and decision making. But certainly, you know, I don't think we have necessarily learned that much from Nicola Sturgeon's evidence that we didn't already know. I think on the uh, on the WhatsApps, I think it was interesting. I've had uh, an MP said to me uh, defending the, you know, the use of WhatsApps that Nicola Sturgeon was so formal in everything that she did that she actually emailed asking where her government car was rather than, you know, send a WhatsApp asking if it was outside. She emailed the MP going, do you know if the car is there rather than uh, using WhatsApp, which just sounds like a terrible way to communicate with someone that you're supposedly friends and colleagues with. On the campaigning, I think the SNP pro-independence use of, of uh, the pandemic was an accusation levelled at uh, the party. Joseph, I was wondering what your take was on that. And is it is that wrong? It doesn't seem to be, I would say, a unique thing to be campaigning during a pandemic. The UK government was extremely full of it uh, at the same time. I think it depends on what period of the pandemic that you're talking. I mean, I mean, right at the start, obviously, within the first year, that would be beyond the pale. As, as Sturgeon mentioned in her evidence, looking at independence started happening again. As we went on, we heard a lot of accusations against Nicola Sturgeon that she was politicising the pandemic. And we heard a lot of denials, which, to be honest with you, will just play into both camps. The only interesting thing that we we heard from the from the UK COVID inquiry it turned out to not be true. Jimmy Dawson, that the KC, the lead counsel of the inquiry, read out an email which he said was from John Swinney, which turned out to not be from John Swinney, alleging that if they don't open a travel corridor to Spain, then Spain will block an independent Scotland from rejoining the EU. Um, it lit, so a lot of people, myself included, jumped on that as a news line, as you obviously would. This is proof that they politicised the pandemic. We then later on in the evening, all furiously contacted by the Scottish government, <laughs> saying that this actually wasn't John Swinney, it was someone else in the UK covered inquiry had made a mistake. So I, I really think your biases will just be confirmed by what we heard yesterday whether you're pro-sturgeon or anti. On the biases and on the anger then, uh, Jane, I know that you obviously, we talked briefly about the um, you know, bereaved families. Do you think that there is an anger, in, in a broader sense, do we think the anger is directed at both the UK and Scottish governments, or do you think you know one is facing more of the blame in a wider context? I think the anger is at both governments. I think every single person, you know, in the COVID bereave group, they have a different situation. They're angry about different things, about different elements of how the pandemic was handled, whether we should have locked down earlier, over whether people should have been allowed to, you know, die alone in hospital or in in one gentleman's case that I spoke to yesterday, his son had uh, died alone in a prison cell, having, you know, called for help through a an intercom and said he was really, really unwell and wasn't seen by by medical staff. I think there's, there's a lot of questions that they all have individually about their individual cases. And some of those decisions were decisions that were, were made at a level at Westminster and some of them were made more locally by the Scottish government. There's just an anger that they feel like they're not being told the truth. They're not being told how all these decisions were made and they're not being told what the reasoning was behind these decisions. And they were really hoping this inquiry would give them some answers. And they very much, from, from what they said after Nicola Sturgeon's evidence yesterday, they still don't feel like any of these questions have been answered and there is a lot of a lot of anger behind that 
Well, I suppose that tees, tees up nicely for the, uh, for the final question. Uh, Martin, I mean, where do you think this leaves us? Like going forward, what are the questions that we as journalists should be looking into and that the government will have to answer? Like where will you be digging following yesterday's uh, evidence? Well, at, at Holyrood, I suspect that the evidence yesterday, um, obviously the Scottish government have already announced a review of their information retention policy. But I think it would be a perhaps an opportune moment for an opposition MP to look at bolstering the freedom of information legislation in Scotland to ensure that this information can be firstly recorded and then disseminated in the future because if there's one lesson from the inquiry this week it's that we can't have a full comprehensive understanding or learning of what happened and how decisions were taken because of government policy and that's just simply not good enough that has to change not just for in the event of you know something of this magnitude but just day-to-day business it's not good governance somebody made the quite astute point yesterday that during the pandemic obviously a lot of people were taking leave of absence, becoming unwell, looking after loved ones. It was a kind of chaotic, fluid time. And without that continuity, how can we expect the government to operate as best as it can? So that has to change. And I suspect that will probably be played out in the chamber at Holyrood. But there's, there's undoubtedly quite a lot else that will be pursued. One of the things that also struck me was around the issue of WhatsApp. I seem to recall that during the long-running <laughs> incident with Mr Salmond, Nicola Sturgeon presented her messages to Alex Salmond, which were three or four years old at that time, and yet she didn't retain any during the pandemic. So even though she's not in a position of any kind of seniority within the government anymore, I think there has to be renewed scrutiny of that. And perhaps that will come during the the Scottish COVID inquiry. Can I I just add just a final point to that? I suppose there's two things. I think the the civil service, I think, has questions to answer in Scotland. Uh, Joseph was referring to that, that email that people thought had come from John Swinney, raising concerns about you know, travel restrictions on Spain potentially having an impact on, you know, a future decision that Spain might take to block an independent Scotland's EU membership. And that was actually a civil servant that wrote that email. And it, it certainly seems slightly baffling from an outsider's perspective as to why a civil servant was making quite so political a point. It's, it's a bit hard to understand. And I think there was previous evidence that the inquiry saw with, you know, senior figures, senior civil servants in the Scottish government, Ken Thompson, Basically, joking about deleting WhatsApp messages, joking about or making kind of lighthearted comments about freedom of information. Uh, I think there are questions that the civil service needs to answer here. I actually strongly suspect that the Scottish government will have to look again, as Martin says, at its kind of uh, retention policy when it comes to these kind of informal messaging services. I don't know if it is actually possible to draw up a policy that actually captures them in any meaningful sense, because I think people can just use disappearing messages, they can use things like Telegram, they can use all sorts of different ways to communicate without it being necessarily captured. And I don't really think the Scottish government can really do anything about that. I also think that, you know, if you require people to hand over WhatsApp messages, you're getting into all sorts of data protection issues in terms of uh, private stuff that would potentially be handed over. So I don't know how the Scottish government is going to handle that. We might even get into a position where they just create a blanket rule that the civil service, for example, should not conduct government business on WhatsApp full stop. And again, how easy will that be to police? So I think there's a number of thorny issues that will come out of this. And I think it'll just run and run. I just, I just have one question, actually, for you, Asda, on this. MPs in Westminster, SNP, broadly now have uh, their messages set to delete. 
So if you're, you know, if you're messaging with, with an MP, their message will delete on WhatsApp after, I think, 24 hours. So basically, there's no history of it, uh, which I imagine is so they can all brief anonymously against each other with, without getting caught. Is, it, is that the same in Holyrood? Certainly, there are people who use auto-delete functions. There are all sorts of ways to get around this. I'm sure it is the same in many ways. And this kind of feeds into the point I'm making that I just don't think you can really, any policy can really capture the use of informal messaging services to any kind of great degree. You can create rules around it, but people will always get around it, particularly when we have all these delete functions and apps, certain apps that only ever use disappearing messages. There's just no way to kind of capture this. And in a sense, it is just the modern equivalent of those off-the-record conversations that people have in corridors that would never have been minted in the first place. So it's something as a society that not just the government, all sorts of organizations are having to grapple with this. People's use of things like WhatsApp and the kind of mixing of an informal and informal decision making. It's going to be a headache for the government going forward. And I don't think this is the last we'll hear of it. Well, either way, lots of things for us to write about and talk about going forward. Thank you all for your time. Thank you, you, the viewer at home for watching. Uh, and for all this and more, stay tuned to thescotsman.com. Mm-hmm.